Lord, I thank you that you are constantly reminding us that we have a Heavenly Father that's very aware of His children, those that are His. That's very involved, that knows exactly what He's doing, that is trustworthy, that is faithful. And Lord, I pray as we look at Your Word this morning, we would just be reminded of that. We wouldn't get all caught up in all the different examples and things we need to look at. But Lord, one thing would remain is that we have a Heavenly Father that we can look to, that knows us, that sees us, that knows better what we need and is there always waiting for us to come to Him. And because of what Jesus did, we can. We've been given access to the Father through Jesus. And Lord, I thank You for that. I thank you, Jesus, that you lived your whole life to please the Father, the life you lived here on earth. And because you, you delighted in his will, Lord, we're here today, able to commune with our Heavenly Father because of your suffering, because you prayed a prayer, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, I, I thank you for that this morning, Lord. I'll be forever grateful to you for that. But Father, it was your, your choice to send your Son. We forget that. So thank you, my Father in heaven. I love you and grateful for you. And that I am your Son. Thank you. I pray it would be your heart that comes forth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of the book of John. Simply because um, we're reminded today, you know, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Entering in what would be known as the, the Passion Week, where he begins his journey to the cross. Um, Interestingly, it starts out with just this great praise and adoration of him, and it quickly turns after that um, into something totally different. And I always think about, you know, there might maybe some of those people in the crowd that were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Maybe some of them were in that other crowd saying, Crucify him. And just... What Jesus had to face, even one of his own disciples turning on him, but yet it was his joy to please the Father, to do the Father's will. Because the Father desired to reconcile us. He understands, understood what it meant to be separated for all eternity from our Creator who made us for himself. To reflect his glory. To be one with him. It was our rebellion. It was our sin that, that separated us from that. But he made a way. That's what we're celebrating. They didn't understand what that meant. You know, they were probably worshiping him more because they thought, finally, he's going to 
deal with these Romans. The king is here. They didn't understand. It was much greater than that, actually. So John 12, verse 12, says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it, as it is written, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. In other words, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling the Father's will right before their eyes. They didn't understand it then, but they did later. And then in John 8, verse 28, Jesus said this about when He would glorify the Father. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. That I do nothing of Myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please Him. Can I say that about my life? Lord, I always do the things that please you. I want to. You see, people will know we're his when we seek to do those things that please him. In that secret place that we're going to be looking at here in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, when no one's watching, when our lives are lived in the sight of our Heavenly Father. That's what I'm going to call the message today. The Father who sees in secret. The Father who sees in secret. Because when He sees us, He'll be with us. He gives us from His own hand everything that we need. We're promised everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything like Brother David shared. He has everything I need. It's right there at His right hand. And you know, He delights to give good things to His children. It's us who settle for lesser things. It's not Him. He, he wants to bless His children. That's His heart. He gives us everything from His own hand, all things that pertain to life and godliness, and He will reward us openly one day. He will reward us openly one day. So we're going to get back here into the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to see 
why this is so important. First, to understand that we are in a relationship with a Heavenly Father. He's not just some God, you know, up there, you know, the big guy in the sky. He's our creator. He's, he's a father. He's the son. And he's the Holy Spirit. He's one, yet three. And he chose to manifest himself that way to us. He's so relational that he wants us to experience him, have relation with him in three different ways. As a father, as a friend, as a brother, as a companion in the Holy Spirit, where he dwells with us and we become one, like marriage. He really is a relational God. More than, and that's why we're relational people. We just get it all wrong. We don't understand the most important relationship we have is with God our Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, with God himself. And it's only there, like we heard, it's where we're truly going to have what we were created for. Be satisfied. Find the rest and the peace and the joy we search for and so many other things. I wish we understood it as much as God understood it. So as we look here at chapter 6 in Matthew, we're going to see that chapter 6 deals with our whole life as a whole. It deals with, and it's kind of in two sections, it deals with our religious life, and then it just deals with the daily things we have to deal with, the cares of this world. And in the middle there is a prayer, which I'm going to look at that another week, I think next week. But it's all, you know, centered around this whole idea that we have a Heavenly Father. And He sees us. He knows us. And He rewards those that seek to please Him. This chapter, it probes, it examines, as does the whole Sermon on the Mount, right? <laughs> you go through the sermon, it's like, okay, where am I at in these things? So there'll be some probing and examining today, but what I kind of walked away with it from was this. I have a Heavenly Father. He sees me, He knows me. I want to please Him. And so I want to look at these verses, and I want to I wanna pray, God, I don't want that. I don't want what you're describing the Pharisees were in and what I can get in myself. So, you know, be careful when we read that, like, oh, yeah, them Pharisees, you know, they were really religious. Glad I'm not like them. No, we are just like them in so many ways. I'm like them in so many ways. So my prayer is, Lord, just search out, get rid of anything of self, anything. My motives, the intents of my heart, anything, Lord, that doesn't want to glorify and please you. Because that's what I want. 
but I know there's this leftover flesh that needs to be crucified. But if I don't see it, how will I know what I need to crucify and put to death and pray and ask God to burn it out of me by the power of the Holy Spirit and to sanctify me and cleanse me so that I can please him? Because that's what I want more than anything. Because when I see myself for what I am, you know what it does? It, it makes me run to Jesus. It makes me fall at his feet. It makes me ask him to cleanse me, but also to fill me with his Holy Spirit. So these things shouldn't make us, you know, like, oh man, I can't go to God. <laughs> Look what I'm like. No, you need to run to him. You need to fall at his feet and thank him that he's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness and that he has what you lack in yourself. He's given you everything you need so that you can be pleasing to him. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be able to say like Jesus, everything I do pleases the Father. So let's look at these examples Jesus gives. The first one in Matthew 6, 1 is basically, you know, I can call it almsgiving. Most good or trustworthy uh, commentators uh, agree that it's really better, a better word would be righteousness than almsgiving or, or charitable deeds. Righteous, it's practicing righteousness, doing good deeds to others. So Jesus says, take heed, Matthew 6, 1, that you do not do your charitable trow- deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the, the general idea is don't do you're giving, whether it's tithing, whether it's helping someone out, whatever it is. Don't do it so that you're seen doing it by men. Because if you do that, basically what he's saying, you'll have your reward. Oh, brother so-and-so. Did you hear what he did? You know, maybe you're telling someone what you did. You'll have your reward, Jesus says. Don't announce it to any others in any way, shape, or form. Verse 2, therefore, when you do your charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet (laughs) like the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. My old pastor used to joke with Rose and I, if we were going on and on about something, he goes, he would say, you get all the glory, Jeff. You get all the glory. I'll never forget that. He used to say it all the time when people were boasting. You get all the glory. And so I learned, because someone else told me this, when we would be out, when we'd be speaking or whatever, you know, people like coming up and, oh, thank you, brother. And they like going on and on and on. And one minister said, just take that bouquet and hand it to Jesus. 
because he gets all the glory. And put it in a file and put it away somewhere. Because if you're looking to get it from men, you've already got your reward. He goes on, verse 3, But when you do your charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So don't announce it to others, but don't even announce it to yourself. That's what that means. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, or vice versa. In other words, don't take out your little book and say, okay, I did this today, I gave so-and-so this, and you're keeping an account of all your good deeds. No, do it and forget about it. Because you know what? There's someone else who has a book, too. And he is keeping an account. And one day, he's going to open that. And whether for good or bad... We're going to be judged according to what we did. You know, there's a picture of that in Matthew 25 when Jesus says to the righteous, you know, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, when I needed clothes, you gave me clothes. I'm like, when, Jesus, when did we do that for you? He said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. I saw you. No one else saw you that day. No one else saw you run over to so-and-so's house and do what you did. No one else saw you put that envelope in so-and-so's pocket or something. But I saw it. And really, you did it for me. You did it to me. If we just forget about it, will have that in his account. I always think about that judgment where it says their works were all burned up. Why? Because it was all for self. They already got their reward. They did it for the wrong reason. He says, if you did it in secret, I will reward you openly you did it in secret, I will reward you openly. So if we're his children, we should do everything as we're led by the Holy Spirit. That's key in being a child of God. We're led, those that are children of God are led by the Holy Spirit. God will lead you. And then when we do it, we need to forget about it. Don't keep a record. If we want to do this teaching that Jesus is talking about, we have to remind ourselves like we heard this morning of what Jesus did for us. That's what was in my mind, you know, as I think about the Passion Week, especially everything that Jesus went through for me. Every time he denied himself. You know, it says, I think at the end of the book of John, that he did so many things that they couldn't even be recorded in a book. So how many unseen things did Jesus do? And if anyone wasn't about pomp, it was Jesus. He would actually tell people, don't go telling anybody what I did for you. And then they would go and tell everybody. 
He wasn't about that. Jesus, to me, is the perfect example of living my life in the Father's gaze and with a heart just, just delights to do His will and just wants to please Him. That's how we need to be. It should be the love of Christ that compels us to do these things that are pleasing. And we'll talk about the reward later. Next thing he talks about is prayer. Matthew 6, 5. This one's interesting because for me, it showed me that even in the most what we would call religious thing we could do, which is prayer, where we're drawing near to God, there's still flesh there (laughs) that wants to make it about me and not about God. And that's what he's basically saying. He says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners and the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut the door, pray to your Father who sees in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So again, when you think of sin, what do you think of? We think of something we do, right? We think of an action. But sin really is a heart issue. It's a tendency of the heart to go in a certain direction. That's why repentance really is, I come to my my senses, I realize I'm in self-will. I'm doing what I want to do. I repent. I turn away from wanting to do what I want to do. And I turn to what is pleasing to God. And I yield myself and I do what He is telling me to do. It's a 180. So it's a heart issue. It's a state of the heart. And it's self-worship, really. It's making me more important than God. It's self-esteem. It's esteeming myself more than others and more than God. That's why the whole teaching of self-esteem is so anti-biblical. So we see from this example that we can even allow this tendency of self-worship to enter into the very presence of God. Now, if we're not careful here, we're going to start analyzing everything we do. And you don't want to do that. Because that's what happens to me. Like, okay, all right, during worship, all right, am I drawing attention to myself? Is this about me or God? we we got to guard ourselves from getting too introspective. Because when he says, go to the secret place, really what that means, it doesn't mean necessarily, okay, i got to be a monk when I want to pray. i just got to go to this place, close the door of the closet, and it's me and God. I mean, we should do that. But he's more talking about you need to shut out everything and everybody around you and understand that this is you and God communing. This is you and God. I can do that right here. I was doing that. I do that when I worship with you guys. I try not to think about you. I don't think about things going on in the service. I'm thinking about God. It's me and Him. I'm worshiping Him. 
It's very freeing when you do that, by the way. And it's that same way in prayer. It's me and God. It's me and Him. Because, you know, again, we're, we're the type that we want to go to extremes of things. So, you know, we might say, oh, okay, well, that be a public prayer. See, that's why I don't pray out loud. Because, you know, Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. They, they love to say their long prayers. Yeah, yeah like so-and-so in the church, you know. But yet we see all over the Bible, prayer was vital in the church. They did it all the time. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, make it about you and God. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about you and God. And then when you pray, you know, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need beforehand. I remember going into the confessional as a young Catholic boy and, you know, saying I cursed at my sister or whatever. I'd make, I would actually make things up sometimes because I'd get to the confessional and I'd be like, okay, I got to tell the priest something. So, yeah, I yelled at my sister. Yeah, I did this, whatever. And so he's, okay, go repeat five Hail Marys and two Our Fathers. Okay. Vain repetition. Or maybe counting the beads. Vain repetition. Or maybe at each time during the day, I get my mat out, I get down, and I pray. Different times of day. Vain repetitions. There's other cultures that have a prayer wheel in Eastern cultures. You know about that. You're probably into all that, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Vain repetitions. We can do that when we have these set times for prayer and then we pride ourselves on those set times. And it just becomes rote. Vain repetitions. It's about a relationship. It's about a father who sees you when you're in that place and wants to commune with you. You know, I had someone say to me years ago, he was a pastor, I don't know what he was, pastor evangelist from uh, Africa. His name was Brother Ben Muima. I don't know if anyone here, but he talked like this. He had a really deep voice, and he had a little bit of an accent. Brother Jeff. He'd say, Brother Jeff. We're always talking, Jesus, 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 Jesus. What about the Father? We have a Heavenly Father. And I'll never forget. Wow, that really sounded like him. That was weird. <laughs> but I'll never forget that. And it kind of, yeah. It's like we forget about the Father. But really, if you think about it, Jesus is always pointing us to the Father. This is very important in our relationship with the Lord. It really is. Because you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. That means I have a Father, a Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus is driving home here. 
Yeah, he's getting at their religiosity and their outward form and where they're making about themselves, but he's trying to point them to the Father. He's trying to say, listen, don't do that. You have a heavenly Father. He sees you. He knows you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and if you make it about him, he has a reward for you. We think it's wrong to seek God for a reward. It's not wrong. It's all over the Bible. It's good to look to the reward. That's what the heroes of faith did in Hebrews 11. Nothing wrong with it. I'm looking forward to my reward. That's that we get into that false humility sometimes. Oh, no, I don't deserve anything. I'm just glad he's allowed me to come to heaven And that's true, but I'm also looking forward to my reward that God has stored up for me. I don't know exactly what that is, but I'm looking forward to it. I know most of it is just Him. It's just being with Him and just having no hindrances at all. We get little tastes of that here. And that's when you that's when you know, like, yeah, this this is it. This is what I was made for. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. When God draws near, or there's just a time where you, He's very close. You don't care about anything, and you're like, I, I, I wish. Can this like go on for all eternity? Yes, it can, and it's a lot better, more than words could even describe to us. Not to be compared with the glory, the suffering of this life. Not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So don't, you know, go to God with vain repetitions. He knows what you need. He knows the things you have need before you ask him. He just wants you there in his presence. He just wants to be with you. And he wants to bless you. He does. Like I said earlier, he really does delight to give good things to his children. We're the ones that hinder him from doing that. When we want what we want. It's so sad. You see it over and over and over. We think it's this. We think it's that. How many years we've seen this, Rose? It's so sad. And God's there. The Father is there. Delight yourself in me. I'll give you the desires of your heart. Okay, lastly, uh, we're going to skip over the Lord's Prayer, verse 16. He talks about fasting. And fasting is generally abstaining from food. I know we can fast other things, but generally that's what this meant, um, and it was for a specific need or divine purpose, but they had made it into a ritual or a certain time and all that, and, you know, kind of lost the whole point of it, and I think we do that sometimes. Um, and it's not the same, you know, sometimes we hear, well, I'm just disciplining my body, but no, we should be doing that all the time, disciplining our body. It's not to discipline our bodies, fasting. It's for a specific reason. Paul says, I keep my body under subjection. 
that's all the time. That's not just like a special time when I'm going to fast and seek God. That's all the time. So when you fast, verse 16, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad face or a sad countenance. Brother so-and-so, what's the matter? Oh, well, I've been fasting, you know, just kind of weak, yeah. But God is good. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say it, they have their reward. They have the praise of man. They got what they wanted. And that's what they get. Jesus, at this point, was primarily concerned with only one aspect of the subject, and that was the tendency, in all these three things, to do things to be seen by men. But he says, now in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you don't appear to men to be fasting. But your father who is in the secret place. He will see in secret and he will reward you openly. So I'm going to finish with some takeaways. And it's going to center on this whole idea of our Heavenly Father and doing things that please him. Because we have a choice. We, We always have a choice. No matter what it is, not just in these three things, but you, you are going to have a choice in every decision you ever make. Do I want to please self or do I want to please my Heavenly Father? That's what it comes down to. Because really, it's not about pleasing man. Because really, we do what we do in front of men because there's something in it for me. People are going to say, oh, brother so-and-so. Yeah. So generous, so giving. Oh, yes. I'm not picking on you. You're just there. You understand that? And I know you can take it. We always have a choice why we do what we do. Do I want to please myself? Was this really pleasing to God? And if it's not to please God, you've lost sight of the cross. You've lost sight of what Jesus went through for you. You've lost sight of your Heavenly Father, of what His promises are to you. You're not seeing right. You've forgotten We might think, again, you know, am I pleasing man or pleasing God? No matter what it is, you can reward yourself. You can do that. I deserve this. I need this. And you can do it. But you'll have what you have from yourself, not from God. 
it won't be from God. Our supreme object in life should be to please God, to please Him only, to please Him always and in everything. If you do that, you can't go wrong. God's blessing, God's favor will be on your life. Doesn't mean everything goes great and, you know, there's no trials in my life or anything, but He's with you. He's with you. He's giving you everything you need in that situation because you're in His will. And He's producing in you what He desires to produce in you, which is to make you more like Jesus, His Son. Because if you love Him, right, Romans 8, 28, those who love God, all things work together for His purpose. So if I love Him, I do the things that please Him. I keep His commandments. We can say we love someone, but actions speak much louder than words. I'll read John eight twenty-eight again, because this is so perfectly illustrated in the life of Jesus. When you lift up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me. I speak these things, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. This is key. For I do those things that please me. I shared this a few weeks ago with you guys about that song. I am a friend of God. Do you remember that? When I used to travel and they used to sing that song all the time. I am a friend of... I got so sick of that song. Because I knew most of the people singing it, you know, you want to say to them, are you a friend of God? Abraham was a friend of God. A man who offered up his son when God told him to was obedient because he wanted to do those things that please God. And God blessed him, spared his son, provided a substitute. But he saw his heart. He saw the heart of a man that even at the cost of his own son wanted to please God. Well, God was with him because of that. God blessed him because of that. Who wants God with them? Who wants God's blessing on their life? Well, you have to do those things that please Him. That's not just automatic. He doesn't go with a rebel. He doesn't bless disobedience. Would you bless your child, Patrick? If they were disobeying you, or would you punish them? Yeah, well, you're a good father. You would discipline them, right? Yeah. That's how you know that's his child. That's how we know we're a child of God. Because he chases us, he corrects us 
when we're going in the wrong direction because he loves us. He's a good father. He wants what's best for us, just like you would want for your kids. I want to do those things that always please him. Again, can I say that? Can we say that? Think about Jesus. He lived entirely for God the Father. His words that he spoke were not of himself. The works he did were the works of the Father that he gave him to do. His whole life was given to glorifying God. Even riding in on a donkey, that wasn't Jesus' idea. All right, I know I'm going to the cross, so I'm going to have one day where they worship me. Get a donkey, Peter. We're going to Jerusalem. Is that what he did? No, he was just fulfilling Scripture. He was being obedient. Because he knew it wasn't about him. It was about glorifying the Father and about doing the will of the Father. His whole life was given to glorifying God. He never thought of himself. He never did anything for himself. In a sense, he's unseen. He hides himself from the public eye, like I said earlier. But we're told he could not be hid. (laughs) There was a complete absence of pomp and showiness. He lived entirely and always only for the glory of God. He said constantly in different ways, I don't seek my own honor, I seek the honor of my Father. That should be our heart's cry. Lord, I want to honor you in the way I live my life and my decisions, how I treat people. I want to do those things that please you. I want to honor your name before people. And we need to realize we should always be conscious that everything we do is in his sight. He sees. He sees our every action. He knows our every thought. He sees it all. He knows your heart. Things that other people don't know. You can deceive other people, but you can't. I can't deceive God. He knows. The Pharisees, Jesus said, justified themselves before men, but God saw their hearts. So we can justify ourselves before men, but God sees our hearts. It says in Hebrews 4.13, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. And he rewards those who seek to please him, to live, to honor him in all things. He says, basically, if you do the right thing, your father who sees in secretly will reward you openly. Jesus saw the reward. We're told in Hebrews 12, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Right? Get your eyes on Jesus. Remember what he did. Remember how he embraced and endured the cross. Remember despising the shame that he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured, endured such hostility from sinners, lest you get weary and discouraged in your souls. You know, when you're facing that hard decision, I've been there wrestling like Jesus wrestled in the garden. Lord, if it's possible, this cup can pass for me. Lord, what you're asking me to do, this is hard. I'm afraid. You know the struggles we go through. Sometimes the things God asks of us, sometimes the things He has spoken to us in, in, in the Word, like we heard last, they're hard sayings. But if we'll cry out, if we'll look to Him and say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, Lord. I want what You want. God, I want to be pleasing to You. He will give you what you need. He will rush in. Just like the angels came and strengthened Jesus and somehow He had a supernatural power to endure this week. We're celebrating. That could not have been done humanly in human strength. He could have not endured that agony on the cross in human strength. There was grace upholding Him so that He could complete His mission, which was to die for us, to do the Father's will. And when it was done, He said, it's finished. I did what I came to do. Father, receive my spirit. I did Your will, Father. I want that to be what I can say at the end of my life. Father, receive my spirit. Lord, I did what you wanted me to do. All the heroes in Hebrews 11, think about Moses and Abraham. They saw something. They saw the reward. I'll conclude with this. We're in a relationship. That Christianity, our salvation, it really is about a relationship. Because Jesus died to reconcile us. To what? To God. So that we can have fellowship with Him. Jesus says in John 17... Salvation is to know Him. It's not because I go to a church or I do this or I fast or I pray a certain way or do this and do that. It's because I'm in a relationship. I've been reconciled to Him. Jesus made a way for me, a rebel, a sinner, to be cleansed from my sin. And He's reunited with my Father, my Creator. And we have fellowship now. And I delight to do His will. And I look forward to the day I enter into His kingdom. And we're going to see in the prayer next week that kingdom is coming to the earth just as it is in heaven. And like my wife prayed, I yearn for that day. I yearn.
for that day. And the relationship Jesus is pointing out here is the one with your Father, your Heavenly Father. It's a father and a child. Again, He knows you. He knows better what you need before you even ask Him. Just like a father knows his children. He knows you. He knows better what you need. If we only realize the almighty God, the creator, the one who upholds the world by his power, is our father. He's our father. He knows all about us. He knows every need before we tell him. As a father cares for the child and looks at the child and is concerned about the child and anticipates the need of the child, so is God with every respect to all those who are in Christ Jesus. And he does desire to bless you. He's not a taker. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's a giver. He desires and loves to bless his children. It's just not maybe what you want all the time. Because what you want, what you don't realize, really isn't a blessing. It's a curse. And he knows that. It's not what you really need. He's a good father. He has a plan. He's got a program for you. He has ambitions for you. Just like a parent would for their child. So we got to remember... He is our Father. The great, the holy, the almighty God is our Father. He cares for us. He counts the very hairs on your head. Read Psalm 139. It's amazing how He knows us. And then in Ephesians 3, we're told He is able to do... (laughs) exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So what you think he can do is even better than what you can think he can do. What he has for you, what he has in store for you, whether it's now or later, is better, more than you can imagine, more than you can plan or come up with. It's exceedingly, far exceeds your imagination. And he wants you to come into his presence. But don't come doubting. Don't come doubting. Come that, or come knowing that God is much more ready to give than you are to receive. Did you get that? God is much more ready to give than you are to receive. People will know we're his children when we're doing those things that please him. You know why? When we do, he'll be with us. When we do, it'll be his power working in us and through us. 
when we do, His blessing, His increase will be on our lives. It'll be on everything we do. We do. It was interested, interesting to me reading in the Old Testament, um, and I heard this somewhere, I don't remember now, but if you read there in the Old Testament where it's talking about blessings and curses, there's many more curses for disobedience than there is blessing when we obey. So it's better to obey. I think there's four times more curses than there are blessings. I want to do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So let's believe that as we seek to please Him, that He's going to be with us, that He is going to bless us, and that He's going to give us everything we need so that we can glorify Him in the earth. Lord, I just pray right now for all of us. I want to ask, Lord, if there's anyone here, is there anyone here that There's things going on in their life. There's decisions. There's stuff going on that they know are not pleasing to you. God, I pray you would grant them repentance. I pray you'll help them to know they have a Heavenly Father that has something better for them. Lord, I pray you'd help us all to get a sight of you and the reality, Lord, of our Heavenly Father and how you delight in your children and you delight to give them good things, Lord. Help us, Lord, to turn away from anything that is self-pleasing, anything, Lord, that is self-will or is trying to draw attention to ourselves or is seeking to reward ourselves, whatever it might be, Lord. I pray that you would draw us away from those things, Lord. I pray you would remind us who our Heavenly Father is. And like David said, Lord, that you have everything we need. Help us to seek you with all of our hearts, minds, and strength, Lord. Help us to turn away from vain and worthless things. And help us look to our Heavenly Father, Lord. Help us to please you, Lord, in all things. So God, I thank you. Thank you personally how you've revealed and made this known in my own life. And I pray, God, you'd help anyone here. Maybe they've had a a bad earthly father and they see you in the wrong way. God, help them to know the God of the Bible. Help them to know the one who has already revealed himself to us through the Son. Revealed his heart to us through what he did on the cross. God, dispel any lies that they have chosen to believe about you, that you're not good, that you can't be trusted. God, help them to surrender to you. 
and to trust you. Help us all, Lord, so that our lives can be pleasing to you and glorify you in the earth, Lord. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, and I love you. And it's in your Son's precious name I pray.